Well, good morning, everyone. James D. Kennedy, now home with the Lord and the former pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, said, We live in an age which only one prejudice is tolerated, anti-Christian bigotry. We've been discussing the colors of Christmas. And Tom, do you have this monitor ready for me up here? Is that available to see the slides up here? It's not? Okay, all right. Okay. In John chapter 12, it reads in verse 37, But despite all the miraculous signs he had done for them, or he had done, most of the people did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? But the people couldn't believe it, for as Isaiah also said, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he made this prediction because he was given a vision of the Messiah's glory. Many people, including some of the Jewish leaders, believed in him, but they would not admit it to anyone because of their fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are really trusting God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the ones, the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. If anyone hears me and does not obey me, I am not his judge, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged at the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me gave me his own instructions as to what I should say. And I know his instructions lead me to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. There are times, I suppose, where people say, I wish the baby Jesus had never been born. I wish none of this Christianity was around. And I ask the question today, what would this world be like if Jesus had never been born? Truly, that would be a black Christmas. Some time ago, Frank Capra produced a movie called It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart and Donna Reed. In that, in that particular movie, there is a clip of an of a angel there by the name of Clarence. What a great name for an angel, Clarence. And he's come to earth to help George Bailey because George doesn't really want to hang around anymore. And Clarence is going to earn his wings by showing what the world would be like if, uh, if George Bailey hadn't existed. The enemy in the story is a guy by the name of Potter. And uh, he's bent on making the whole town called Pottersville. In fact, let's plug into a clip and let's see what it's like for George Bailey if he had never been born. Tough life. (laughs) 
Where's Mary? Oh, well, uh, I, I can't. Uh, I don't know how you know these things, but tell me where is she? Uh, if you know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence, tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? She's an old maid. She never married. Where's Mary? Where is she? She's where is she? She's just about to close up the library. Thank you, Tom. Now if you could turn it off. There you go. And then the last slide is finally they're reunited in the house. Everything turns all right in Hollywood. That's good. The value of human life is one thing that would have been greatly disturbed if Jesus had never come. I've got a few things I want to talk about. I think there's eight of them today. And we'll go quickly through them. But the value of human life, if Jesus had never been born... We would never have valued human life. Even girls in China, Adam Smith in his, in his uh, exercise or little essay in The Wealth of Nations in 1776 said, In all great towns of China, several babies are every night exposed in the street or drowned like puppies in the water. But it was into China that the gospel came. 33 years it took Hudson Taylor to win one convert to Jesus Christ. And today, communism still tries to drown out the voice of Christianity. There were widows in India. Prior to the Christian influence in India, widows were burned on their husbands' funeral pyres, a practice known as sati. A word literally translates good woman, as Hindus believed it was uh, was a good woman who followed her husband to death. Girls in China, widows in India, Eskimos, the elderly ones, and even slavery... Did you know that half of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves? Three-fourths of the populations of Athens were slaves. William Wilberforce, who became a believer, worked 20 years to halt the slave trade, five more years to free 700,000 British slaves. Now, the value of human life would never have been the same if Jesus had not come. Even the sanctity of life, which we'll celebrate next Sunday, or or this next month in January... Jesus believed in life. None of that would have even been possible. Even some of the, even some of the pregnancy issues, the crisis pregnancy center and alternative pregnancy centers would never have existed had Jesus Christ never had he did not come. But not only the value of human life, but compassion and charity as well. Saint Lawrence of Aragon was quite generous, especially to the poor. He was ordered by a Roman official to surrender the treasures of the church. He brought some poor, old, and lame people saying, these are the treasures of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that by His poverty He could make you rich. St. Lawrence, the church, even the Middle Ages. Will Durant, the historian, says the church was a continent-wide organization for financial aid. It was amazing to see that. Even within compassion and charity, too, there is even the 19th century and today. The Salvation Army, World Vision, Food for the Hungry, Samaritan's Purse, Prison Fellowship, Christian Children's Relief Fund, compassionate organizations by the dozens would never have even existed or even started had Jesus not come. It would have been a real black Christmas. In some ways... We try to put Santa Claus in the mix. Yet the first Santa Claus was Nicholas of Myra, who simply brought some gifts for the underprivileged kids. 
He was never a happy Santa either, if you study the history of it. He was sad because of the poverty. A third area that was impacted if Jesus had never come was the area of education. J.D. Douglas says, From its beginning, the religion of, of the Bible has gone hand in hand with teaching. Christianity is par excellence as t- at teaching religion, and the story of its growth is largely an educational one. Not only language, but even in schools. Samuel Bloomfield says the modern idea of public education, that is, education for everyone, first arose in Europe during the Protestant Reformation when papal authority was replaced by biblical authority. Not only language and schools, but even printing. I know what I want to do, said John Gutenberg. I want to print the Bible. And that's what led, in large measure, to the Reformation. When they started getting the Bible in their own language, all of a sudden the common people said, well, this is not what's being said in the Bible. The priests are saying something different. That's always the case. And even some of the new translations today that are put into the vernacular of today's language are helping young people to understand the truths of the Bible. Nobody has anything against the King James Version, but sometimes it's a little hard to understand. And sometimes some of the newer versions bring a little bit more light, especially to the understanding of younger minds. Not only language, schools, and printing in the universities, but even in universities. For 217 years, from 1620, when the pilgrims landed, until 1837, virtually all education in America was private and Christian. J.K. Hyde adds, all universities in the world go back to three prototypes, Oxford, Paris, and Bologna. Almost every one of the first 223 colleges and universities in the United States has Christian origins. Dartmouth was founded to train missionaries to the Indians. William and Mary was created that the Christian faith must be propagated. Harvard started was started by the Reverend John Harvard. Also Yale, Princeton, Northwestern, and Columbia. In fact, John Harvard says, The great end of all education is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal life. Who is eternal life. I wonder if that's true for Harvard today. But it was true then. A fourth area was government. The foundation, Earl Warren, who sat on our Supreme Court, said, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. Wow. Whether we look at the first charter of Virginia, or to the charter of New England, or to the charter of Massachusetts Bay, or to the fundamental orders of Connecticut, the same objective is present, a Christian land governed by Christian perspectives. Let me tell you something. As one of the chaplains to our Colorado Senate, I remind them this of this every time I'm down there. If Jesus had never been born, we would be in sad shape. Even in the Mayflower Compact, it says, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together. Within government foundation, the Mayfire Complex, even the founding fathers, Samuel Adams, Patrick Henry, John Witherston, George Washington, 
We're all believers. In fact, George Washington in his farewell address said, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Let me tell you something. Our legality used to flow out of our morality. Now our morality flows out of our legality, and that's we're in trouble. There was a years ago we defined a human being as body, soul, and spirit. In 1943, the sociology departments of this country in our universities, no longer define mankind as body, soul, and spirit, but just body and soul. And from 1943, 17 major, major decisions by our Supreme Court were reversed on, on, a new view of anthropology and what defines a human being. And because I'm the interim, I'll say what I want. And I mean that today. I remember when homosexuality was a sin. Today it's a class of people based on a definition of anthropology. If Jesus had not come, this world would be a dark world. You have a wonderful heritage, my friend. And the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached. He wants peace, but he wants it on his terms. The government also, not only the foundation of the Mayflower Compact and the Founding Fathers, but even within the Constitution, Abraham Lincoln himself said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that these, those, those nations only are blessed by whose God is the Lord. There's this movie out now on Lincoln. The leading actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, is up for an Oscar, from what I hear. The movie's a lot of yelling and shouting. <laughs> Come to think, things haven't changed much, have they? And the issue here has become, in, that, in this entire movie, has been about leadership and how someone leads. But the real issue, the real Lincoln is all history that those nations are only blessed by whose God is the Lord. A fifth area that was impacted was science. The mother of science, so says Alfred Lord Whitehead. Christianity is the mother of science because of the medieval insistence on the, more, on the rationality of God. The Royal Society of London and the pioneers of science, Johann Kepler just simply said, Science is nothing more than thinking God's thoughts after him. Isaac Newton said, I have a foundational belief in the Bible as the Word of God. I study the Bible daily. Blaise Pascal, the famous atheist who finally became converted to Jesus Christ, said, Jesus Christ is the only proof of the living God. We only know God through Jesus Christ. He's the one who's credited for the, for the great quote, and it's not up on the screen. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person that can only be filled by God the Creator and made known through the person of Jesus Christ. But there's more in science. Joseph Lister in antiseptics, Louis Pasteur in bacteriology, Robert Boyle in chemistry, George Cuvier in anatomy, Charles Babbage in computers, John Fleming in electronics, Michael Faraday in field theory, George Mendel in genetics, James Simpson in geology, Bernard Ryman in geometry, William Ramsey in isotopes, John Ray in natural history, Matthew Mao in oceanography, just to name a few, were believers in Jesus Christ and changed the world. 
It would have truly been a black Christmas without Jesus. A sixth area was economics. Jesus changed economics. The Ten Commandments themselves, even the commandment, Thou shalt not steal, means that the Bible countenances private property. For a thing it is not owned, for if a thing is not owned in the first place, it can scarcely be stolen, so says John Chamberlain. Even with Jesus' teachings, he taught on it. Larry Burkett says, one of the financiers like Dave Ramsey says, the Bible, with more than 700 references to money, says more about economics than many other subjects, nearly two-thirds of the parables that Christ left us to deal with, the use and the handling of it. In fact, Jesus speaks more about money than he does about hell. It impacted Luca Basolio, the Protestant work, and much, much more. Time does not allow to go into detail. A seventh area, health and medicine, was impacted by Christ's teachings. Jesus was a healer himself. In Matthew 12, 12, 15, it says he healed all the sick among them. Even hospitals that we have today. Charles Rosenberg says the early hospitals in the United States were framed and motivated by the responsibilities of Christian stewardship. Even in nursing and in the Red Cross, Florence Nightingale says, the kingdom of heaven is within, but we must also make it so without. It was Henry Dunnant, along with Florence Nightingale, who said, I was aware of, of an intuition, vague and yet profound, that my work was not an instrument of his will. It seemed to me that I had accomplished it as a sacred duty and that it was destined to have fruits of incident consequence for mankind. And even today in health and medicine, not only do we have Jesus the healer in hospitals and nursing and Red Cross, we have medical missions. Some of you in this church are leaving in just a few more days for Haiti. And you will practice in some medical missions there. Bringing relief. Oh, my friend, this morning, if Jesus had never been born... It would truly have been a black Christmas. An eighth area that was impacted by Christ were the arts. He was the inspiration of the arts. Cynthia Pearl Moss, stage actress, director at times, said more poems have been written, more stories told, more pictures painted, more songs sung about Christ than any other person in human history. Because through such avenues as these, the deepest appreciation of the human heart can be more, can be more adequately expressed. He was the inspiration. He also gave rise to architecture. Oh, I wish I could take you through Europe. I wish I could point out some of the cathedrals that now stand empty. But all of that architecture was to describe Jesus Christ and the magnificence he brought to this earth. He was involved in the Renaissance and even in literature. Did you know this quote from William Shakespeare? Listen to this, his last will and testament. I commend my soul into the hands of God my Creator, hoping and assuredly believing through the only merits of Jesus Christ my Savior to be made partaker of life everlasting. Did you know that Shakespeare wrote that? How about Charles Dickens? My dear children, I am very anxious that you should know something about the history of Jesus Christ. For everybody ought to know about Him. Not only Him, but let me mention a few other names. 
Fyodor Dofieski, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Hans Christian Andersen, Leo Tolstoy, T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, John Grief Whittier, just to name a few men who changed the literary landscape of this world, all knew Jesus Christ. It would have been a black Christmas if he had never come. The arts, he was the inspiration, the architect, the Renaissance literature, even music. How about these names? Guido of Arizio, Johann Sebastian Bach, George Friedrich Handel, Antonio Vivaldi, Felix Mendelssohn, Byron Guthrie, Laura Scott Knack. I've left off dozens of people who could have made this list. And even the artists today that are turning the world upside down with the music. And the, the music that we thrill today, our own kids playing the music and the stringed instruments today. Doesn't that just set your heart on fire? It would have been a black Christmas if Jesus had not come. And then he changed lives, didn't he? Peter, Paul, Augustine, John Newton, C.S. Lewis, Chuck Colson. How about you? One writer put it this way. Not sure who I can attribute this quote to. We'll just put a nun there. I wish that there were some beautiful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be draped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Well, my friend, I don't know who wrote that, but I have news for you. It can be done in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. We come back to our text this morning. In John 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this darkness or in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. If anyone hears me and does not obey me, I am not his judge. For I have come to save the world and not judge it. Paul Reese, in his poem, wrote some poetry. He said in his title of it, it's called I Have Come. He says this to Mary's encircling arms, to the shepherd's wandering gaze, to Jerusalem's pool and pathways, to Galilee's hills and shores, to the classy rich and the cashless poor, to the arrogant, the ignorant, the errant, to the resolute, the desolute, the prostitute. There has never been a coming like it, more than an effort. It was an effect, more than an attempt. It was an act, more than a desire. It was a deed to reveal, to suffer, to die, to live again, to enlighten our darkness, to liberate us from our change, chains, to save us from ourselves, to bring us to God and to mankind and to heaven. That's why He came. That's why He is here. And I think He wants me, yes, me, to do something more. Staggeringly, He wants to use me to demonstrate it. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. There is a Christ. And there will be a Christmas tomorrow. And the next day, in John 10.10, he writes, My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. But Kenneth Lauderette, the great historian and one that I studied in seminary, said, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men as that of Christ. Through it, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. 
Through it, hundreds of millions have been lifted from literacy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It has done more to ally the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse, and it has emancipated millions from slavery and vice. But we're reminded of Jesus' words that I started out with in John 12 and verse 37. But despite all the miraculous signs he had done, most of the people did not believe in him. Where are you today? I don't know if this is your first time in church and you're visiting mom and dad and you got dragged here today. And you're putting up with the preacher for another couple of minutes. And then you're back to the TV for the NFL. Man, can I have a word with you for a moment? Yesterday I sat in Denver with my two grandkids. As many Saturdays as I home, I have started a, 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 a little thing in our family. It's called taking the grandkids for donuts on Saturday. And donuts to me are probably the closest proof for the existence of God that I know. I sat with little Anna, she's two, and she sat on my lap, and she was eating her donut with this hand, and she was talking. And I got a little distracted because I heard the, saw the door open the donut shop, and this gust of wind came through, and it, it was kind of chilling. And I looked away, and she reached up, and her little tiny hand grabbed my face and pulled it back towards her. <laughs> you got to get the picture of this. Here's this old guy, <laughs> and, he gets, and she says, Big Dad, I'm talking to you. Can I reach forward for just a moment? Can I touch your cheek for just a second? Can I ask you to look at me for a minute? I'm talking to you right now. If you go through life and you miss Jesus, you've missed it all. You've missed it all. No color can describe it. It's not a blue. It's not a green. It's not a white. It's not a black Christmas. It's just Christmas. No thought can contain it. No idea can describe it. No work, no words can hold it. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But my question is this morning, do you know Him? And even though you're sitting in church this morning, and you may have thoughts of being somewhere else. Can I just hold your face for a moment and let me talk to you personally? And say, He died for you. And all it takes is this. And if this prayer represents what the desire of your heart might be today, if you could just even take one step, take it with me this morning. Repeat this after me silently as I repeat it out loud. Lord Jesus Christ. Come into my heart right now. Forgive me of my sins. And make a difference in my life. I surrender my heart to you. Make me the person you want me to be. And maybe for some of you, this Christmas might be a Christmas of renewal. Where you would say, Lord, it's good to be home for Christmas this year. I want to come home.
thank you for reminding me again today of your love and compassion. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we humbly thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that in all things you are glorified. We thank you, Father, that you've heard these prayers. And if, Lord, anyone did pray to just ask you to forgive their sins today and ask you to come into their life, would you give them the the gracious knowledge and satisfaction that they now belong to you? And for those of us who may have taken a few sidesteps and kind of got out there a little too far, Remind us that it's good to be home for Christmas. But most importantly today, more than anything else, I pray that all of us here today would make and know with great assurance that your coming to this earth has made such a difference, it's incredible. Whether it's been in compassion, science, medicine, economics, charity, the arts, Music, theater, stage, wherever it's been, education, it doesn't matter. You make the difference. You're about the purpose of changed lives. And may this Christmas season we rejoice, knowing that it's not going to be a black Christmas. You did come. And because you live, we live. And we thank you for that. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen.